would you be able to introduce yourself for the audience, please? Hi, um, my name is Jocelyn Roberts and I'm an artist and I've been painting for almost 20 years. And I live on the North Wales coast in Old Colwyn and uh, yeah, I paint all sorts <laughs> of things. <laughs> Do you have any kind of specific area that you cover with your paintings? What's your? I mostly do uh, still life pieces um, and I do a lot of uh, seascapes and landscapes. Yeah. What do you enjoy most out of those two, still life and landscape? Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one because I enjoy landscape because I'm painting plein air outside and you have to be quick and just you know you just end up painting uh, with what you've got in front of you really um, and you have to be quite confident in your brush work and your color mix <coughs> your color mixing um, the studio still life work is a, a completely different beast I can really slow down and almost see it as studying mm -hmm. and um, I can set it up. Um, I set them up in daylight, so I do have to be quicker than a standard person because they um, normal people would set them up with a lamp. So you've got a very static piece of work and you can, you can work on that all day because nothing changes. Whereas I actually love the daylight colours so I have to you know, I have to be fairly quick because the shadows change, um, but it, it's still slower than standing outside in the you know in the fields or wherever painting. It's it's a more um, intimate um, way of painting. Um, I find as well. I'm I'm working on some still life at the moment, and, and normally I paint landscape or seascape. So it's this vast kind of space. Whereas yeah. life is this much more intimate encounter, in a sense. And it takes a while sometimes to adjust to those different ways of working. Do you find yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. I tend to be either all in the studio, and then I remember that I actually love painting outside. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I go and do some, and I think, why am I not doing this all the time? So, and obviously it depends on the weather and... And it depends on my um, current exhibition as well. What you know, what it is I'm I'm working towards. So other things kind of factor into to what pushes me to do more of. Yeah. When I became yeah. familiarised with your work, it was in 2018 when you did that series of sky paintings, one every day for the whole year. Yeah. Is there anything where you started off doing that, and then by the end you you kind of something had changed as far as you'd either learn something or something had just altered in your practice in that time? Well, I, I started doing that as um, just to get better with uh, my practice. You know, I, I was told if you want to get good at something, do it every day. So I thought, OK, I'm going to stand outside my studio and I'm going to paint the same bit of sky and see how hard can it be? It would increase my um, speed. It increases your colour mixing and and it just gets you into that plein air mode. And 
I hadn't done hardly any plein air painting at that point. And I just thought I'll either love it or I'll hate it, one or the other. I thought I'll do it for a week and see how it goes. And I I did it for a week. I thought, okay, I'll push this to a couple of weeks, see how it is. And I was like beginning to get into it. Each piece was taking me too long, which annoyed me slightly. And um, I foolishly told everybody on Facebook how exciting it would be to do it for a year. And everyone was like, oh, that would be amazing. We're going to come to that exhibition. And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to actually have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So after probably about three months, I, I was almost addicted. I had to do it. And it was very exciting and I would actually not just do one, I would be doing three or four in the day because I was weather watching basically every day. And the speed at which I was painting was was quickening up. So by the time the end of the year came, I could I could do I could do one in five minutes. So and my colour mixing and my you know my shape you know the shapes of the clouds and the things like that the composition of just a very basic sky and sea horizon it just sort of took off like exponentially and it was it was it was such a a massive thing I had all of these paintings I just like stacking them up in boxes as you can imagine and I thought oh my god now I'm actually gonna have to create an exhibition for the, all of these pieces that I have no idea how I'm even going to attempt this feat because everybody was waiting for it. They had so many um, messages saying, let us know when it is. Can I have this one? And, you know, the the ball was rolling out sort of out of control, really. <laughs> but um, after speaking to Jonathan LeVay at um, Theatre Cluid, he said, yep, yeah, come and have the exhibition space, the community one. Let's figure out how we're going to do this. So so that's what I did. I ended up framing them all myself and mounting them on monthly boards. So they were framed in various ways, sort of between, you know, one and sets of a week. So, you know, there were a variety. And I, I mounted those on solid boards. So poor Jonathan only had to actually hang 12 pieces rather than 365. They were all the same size, is that right? They were all... Yeah, yeah. all A6 postcard size. Excellent. And back to, your, back to your process of working with it. When you start sort of having that relationship with the, with the sky and with the landscape, mm-hmm. it, it does become, um, you become much more synchronised with it and, and much more um, free-flowing with, yeah. with how you paint. Um, and I think with plein air painting, when you first begin, <clears throat> there's so much to take in. You've got this whole sort of panorama and you think, yeah. well, where, where do I focus? Which, which part of it? And it can be quite overwhelming. Did you find that as you um, as you went on, that your um, execution of and your relationship with the landscape become much more um, 
uh, synchronized. So what you were doing with your hands and with your eyes were, were aligned. Um, I I still have trouble actually um, blocking out too much information yeah. because m my brain will be like, oh, look at that leaf. I like that. And when I should be actually focusing on the tree and yeah. the tree within the certain landscape. And so what I did on in my pochard box, I cut out a um, a square frame and I actually attach it to the top of my box. So I'm looking through a viewfinder yeah, yeah. because I physically want to fit it all in. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't do that, I want to paint the whole landscape on a small board and you just really can't do that. So no. um, trying to like crop in, I suppose, sort of helps me out with uh, composition because um, that's my worst scale. I think something I really need, I really have to think about is composition. Yes. It doesn't come easy to me. No. And did you find uh, you were getting looser the more it went on or, um, or sort of tighter? It tightens. Right. I love my initial sketch, oil yeah. sketch, because I just get the important information down. Mm. And I really should just close my box at that point because I stop adding bits and like thinking I'm making it better when actually I'm just making it tighter and I just need to stop. Yes. <laughs> Knowing when to stop is always uh, it's always a hard one that. Yes, yeah. It's more so than knowing where to start. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm quite happy. You know, a lot of people are scared of that big white canvas. And yeah. that's when I get my butterflies. I can't wait to to get putting the shapes in. And it's the halfway point is my probably my worst point of the canvas yeah. uh, because it's an ugly stage and you know you've got to push on. Yes. And it's at that point that I... I used to give up because I couldn't feel how it would work. Whereas now, um, I just, I try not to think about it. I think, right, okay, go and have a cup of coffee and come back to it and then carry on as though you're starting again. And, yeah. you know, you, you get through to the end of each piece. So, yeah, you sort of, if you take, if you step back and you have your coffee, you see it with new eyes again. I think yeah. sometimes we're, we're so close to a painting. Um, we really can't see it. So stepping back and then coming at it afresh, mm. it, it can give you that sort of boost. Yeah. To... And I look through a mirror as well to do that. Okay. And I'll take a photograph of the painting as, as it is and sort of just, just sort of checking or surprise myself by looking over my shoulder, you know, with a mirror. Is it, is it what I, I think it looks like? Yeah. Because you do, you get sort of almost colour blind. Yeah. It, sorry, sorry. I was just going to ask: Is it the colours? Is it the tonal values? What what usually becomes that sticking point in the halfway stage of a painting? Um, I'm not sure to be honest. I think what it is as as you you start. Well, for me, I. I start painting by adding, I create, I just put in the shapes tonally um, 
in a sort of a, a medium color so it's not the super darks and it's not the, the lights but I'm sort of just putting placing shapes so and that sort of takes me quite a bit just to get the shapes and the like the drawing of it correct before I sort of actually start properly painting um and that's the halfway point for me because after that I'm confident and I it's it's deciding that that's correct is the halfway point and where you know I could fiddle about with it and sort of change angles and composition and but after that you know you can sort of really go in and um get your tones right uh, my color mixing is it I that's part of what I love is mixing a color so that's never been difficult for me but getting it to look right compositionally is a mathematical thing I mean I don't think my brain works that way yeah yeah I can understand that it is it's a difficult thing and going back to to the question that Simon asked it's it's just something isn't it you're not quite sure sometimes what it is yeah. but something isn't you know yeah. it, it isn't quite right or, or it needs that extra something what I often do is we'll take a photograph of it and then just turn it around and then sort of just crop it in the photograph and then the next morning I get on my phone and look and think that's not too bad actually you know where it's <laughs> You know, yeah. it's the last week I didn't want to see it ever again. Mm. So um, you're talking about sort of the, the, the composition there and getting it right. Do you see that really as as the sort of the scaffolding? Yeah, like the, absolutely. The on which everything else can can happen. Yeah, it's the it's the the yeah the composition, but also the drawing. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and my drawing skills aren't, aren't brilliant. I'm a better painter than I am drawer. Um, I tend to be very lazy and do a quick scribbly sketch just because that's the initial idea. And then I have to really sort of um, work at the drawing side of it, um, especially for still life, not so much for um, plein air work that's kind of quite just big shapes. And as long as your composition leads in to where you want it, I think it's fairly simple. But for still life pieces, it's a lot harder and there's there's nowhere to hide. No, so. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, especially if you, like, you get ellipses wrong or something yeah. like that, or your shadow's in the wrong place and it's just like, oh, goodness sake. <laughs> I came across this idea in university, and this may not be the case, I'm not sure, but I've heard that it can be based on the energy that you put into the painting. So if you are feeling kind of, because it made me think when you were saying about the drawing being quite loose, as though that stage might be a bit more impressionistic and, and scribbly. And I've heard that the painting can actually, can really capture that energy that you've injected into it as well. And at a calmer point, you know, the brushstrokes will communicate that. Is that something that you found either works or, or kind of something that you've got to uh, negotiate as part of the process? That works for, um, <clears throat> for plein air work because you have to be quick. Time limiting keeps your energy mm. um, because you, you can't fuss about and smooth out edges and 
you know, those kind of things. You're putting in your shape. You're waiting for the right light just to happen. And it's almost like you have three minutes to get that light in and the shadow right. So it's a confidence in quick energy mark making, really. Um, whereas still life, I think you can put it almost till the end of your piece for me is is quite a still and static piece and the energy comes with the finishing um and I paint not quite almost a la prima it's almost like three three layers of paints um and I will sort of add the energy with a bit of palette knife and extra color play um you know just little dots of um changes of color and you know things like that that suddenly give it that that light and energy that you want it otherwise you look at it and you think god that's the most boring piece I've ever painted mm. and you're looking at the the item that you've chosen and you have to almost remind yourself why you chose it was it because it was pearlescent like a shell or you know was there something about it that that made it a magical piece. It's um, and then putting it back in, reminding yourself to put finish it off and put that important information back in into your painting. How how important is abstraction to to your work? I mean, all art is abstract in a way. It's to it's taken from something. But you were talking there about having, you know. If, if the composition and the drawing is is the framework or the scaffolding, mm. um, and then once you feel you've got that right, and and I agree with you, there's that. But you look at it and think it's too, it, it's lacking that kind of energy. It's slightly boring. Mm. How important then is abstraction to you that you go in and you add those painterly elements that says this is a painting and not just a a, a representation of what I'm seeing. Yeah. Absolutely, hugely important because um, I I do look around and think, you know, the hyper-realistic paintings are clever and beautiful, but it's, there's something lost in it. And yes. um, a scrape of a palette knife or, you know, a really decent blob of, of paint and you can see the brush marks. And from afar... I like my work to look fairly realistic, um, but up close, I want people to see the paint mixing with each other and there's, you know, almost sculpt edges with a twist of a brush. So you're leaving a really good dollop and up close, you have no idea what it is because it's just, there's so much going on, which is so subtle, but for me is, is massively important to see that it's painted. And it gives it, it gives it, like you say, it gives it that 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 painted, painterly feel, and it it shows the workings of it. And I love that as well. That um, looking at paintings close, you see those, you know, little scrapes, little brush marks, scrapings yeah. back, you know, reworkings. And yet, from a distance, you walk in and you see something, but then close up, it it shows its own history on the surface. Absolutely. I, I, you know, when, when we look at art ourselves as artists, we kind of, we want to see how it's done. And, 
but then sat back and think I never if I buy a piece of work I never want to be bored of it so it has for me I think well if I create something I'm not going to be bored of then it's helpful for other people and I think the more layers and interest and different things that are happening within the painting the more you have the more interest there is so you know it makes people stand still in front of your work and think how the hell has she managed to do that or you know why would she consider putting a big blob here or just a dash of red as a final finish to me it's that's that's the exciting bit so yeah the artwork is, it sort of remains alive in that sense. I think with photography, that photography just captures this moment in time and it can do it very, very well. Um, but a painting, like you say, it's its always sort of unearthing its own history. And mm-hmm. even though it's this image of something, a moment in time, which is mixed with the artist's imagination, that you can go and look at it close up and think, you know, why did she put that blob there or was that on purpose? But, so <laughs> that, that dialogue continues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Atmosphere into a painting as well, because that can be something which leaves some paintings feeling a bit more sterile. Is there a way that you've learned to inject some of that? Because I always feel like the impressionistic approach to painting or, you know, the, the kind of expressive brush marks and, and palette knife touches that you've mentioned can make that difference between a fragment of a second from a photograph into a, a more living environment of a painting. And how is it you've kind of noticed you've achieved that? Is there any kind of ways that you thought this is a reliable technique for injecting a bit more life into this still life? than something which is frozen in time? I think, um, is how you, how you set it, for me, how I set it up is that initial, it's that initial nugget of information that, that makes me need to create the atmosphere in a painting. So if I, like, uh, recently I've done a few sort of fruit pieces just ordinary fruit still life and set it up in a very cool northern light and it's muted the colors and made everything soft so that then informs how I'm going to paint it and you know there's there's no hard edges and there's it's just all soft and cool and it's sort of that adds its own atmosphere for me is everything is about the quality of light so you know I could set things up in uh, bright sunlight and then you have the really energetic shadows which are really strong and very clear to see whereas northern light is very soft and gentle so it just informs how I'm going to paint it. So whether I'm doing a really hard edge or a really soft edge or completely lost edges, uh, you know, whether I blend anything or whether I um, finish off with a palette knife or not, you know, it, 
it's all about the weather for me. It's everything, whether I'm doing a still life, it, the weather is still informing what I'm doing. So, and that's where the atmosphere is coming from, or the yeah. scene, it's yeah. that, that moments and that light. Absolutely. Because I paint ordinary objects, something else has to come into the fact that, you know, I, I just, I, my choice of subject is kind of very strange for a lot of people because I, of what I choose. So I have to have more than just what it is to make it more than just what it is, if you know what I mean. Um, I, I paint such ordinary things. And if I want to make it extraordinary, which is what I want to do, um, the extraordinary bit has to come from the light. And so, which then informs what color I use. And yeah, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky one, isn't it? Still life. Yes. And do you, do you find that you um, when it comes to color um, it, with plein air painting, for example? I mean, it changes all of the time. Yeah. Um, the light changes. Everything changes. Um, it, and similar with still life as well, because I mean the the light and it's just very filtered light coming from my studio window. But I've got a plant a cactus pot over there, and it's changed three or four times. Do you um, chase that light in that sense? Do you follow it as it changes, or do you sort of say start with it and say I'm going to stick now? to this light that's part in my memory? Uh, it depends on the weather. <laughs> yeah. If it's just like, a, if, if the weather's quite static and not changing, then I usually decide from the beginning that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But sometimes like on sunny days, you get a cloud pass and suddenly it cools and then it's back out again. And it, it's almost, I wait until the end then to think actually as it's building, I think the strong light maybe works better as I'm going along, or then do I pull back and actually keep it soft? So, um, yeah, it depends. I suppose that's the problem of not setting up with a lamp, which I have tried and and got completely bored of. (laughs) Yeah. Do you ever, with still life, um, work from photographs? Now, I must admit, I do. So I will set up a composition and then I'll take loads of different photographs of it. I'll still work from the still life, but mm-hmm. often have these um, like static images just sort of just in case. Do you ever do that? No, because I'm rubbish at taking photographs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really bad at yeah. taking photographs. Um, I do it because I think that's what I ought to do, um, but then I never refer back to them. Yeah. Um, there is I paint from life um because that's where I see the excitement the, yes. this, the the object and the light in front of me and it forces me to be quick and make my decisions promptly and mix my colors correctly very quickly um because I know how lazy I am that if it takes too long I give up <laughs> or so if I'm using a reference picture I just labour over it. I have tried in the past using other people's reference photos and I'm looking at it and I just think, oh, 
why did I even do this? Because there's no life. That's not the excitement yeah. for me. It's it's picking up a subject and going, oh my God, this is what's exciting. And it's that it's the object and the yeah. feel of it. And I paint with all my senses. So whether it's a cold subject or or a or a textured thing, I need to see it and feel it yeah. to be able to paint that. So using a photograph for me will be is is just something I can't do. No. So. And I I think you're right to do that. And I I teach painting, so often I'll, I'll do a little test where sometimes we'll work from photographs and then work from a photograph scene. We look at it for two minutes and that's it if someone's working from a photograph it's such a frustrating process because you're, you're trying to recreate what the camera has created which you could never do so you look yeah. at these sort of lines and um precisions whereas if you're working from life or working from um memory to some extent which you are when you're working from life because you're looking at something and then you're looking at your canvas. So there's that two second, 30 second memory that you have to rely on. Whereas if the photograph is there next to you, it's sort of the opposite of painting in many ways. Yeah, it, yeah. It's and one can never reproduce really what, what a, a photograph um, is. is I think it stops people from learning to look as yeah. well. You know, a, a subject is always going to be flat from a photograph. Um, whereas, you know, you pick up a shell, for instance, and the, the edge, it disappears around the corner. Yeah. And to be able to paint that nicely or correctly, uh, you have to know that that's the shape. Whereas I think it, it it's almost like you're missing some of the steps in between for looking and learning to paint if if it's from a photograph. I've noticed that there are certain things which you can see in older work before you've gleaned these these insights into you know how nature works with things. you know an easy example would be how how things become blue as they recede into the distance. And uh, the lightest part of a clear blue sky is lower than it is higher, which you would imagine it would get lighter higher up, but it actually gets lighter lower down towards the uh, the mountains or whatever. Is there anything where you, I mean, the soft edge was a great example. Is there any other kind of example that you can think of where you think if it weren't for hours of, you know, observation and, and you know, disciplined kind of um, kind of meditation on this object, you wouldn't have really even seen this detail? I think it's almost like you have to learn the rules first, the painting and that aerial perspective, like you, you mentioned about things getting bluer in the distance. Um, those are the things, those sort of set of rules that you kind of have to learn first and you then start noticing them. And once you start noticing, you, you can't stop that. So um, I suppose it's like, you know, if you're, you've got a 3D subject in front of you and you're wanting to create it on a 2D surface to make it look 3D. So 
you need to see that um, the colours obviously are paler in in the distance. Um, all the lines are softer. The details have gone. So when you when you have something right at the front of your picture, it needs to be a nice, strong, warm colour, and the edges are stronger. And um, and that kind of works as well with uh, still life even though your subject's right in front of you, to make it into a 3D object, you still have to use up, you know, all the atmospheric things that happen within um, a picture. It, it's, I don't know when you start picking that up, or I think it's just time, isn't it? Do they say that to get something good, it's 10,000 hours worth of work? Mm. Um, and I paint and draw every single day without fail. Um, I get a bit, according to my husband, I get a bit twitchy if, <laughs> if I haven't done any art that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I think regarding that question, it, it is one of those things you kind of learn on the job um, that as you start putting bits together, things start to make sense a lot more and it's that alignment between say technique and wisdom that that yeah. you're able to sort of fuse the two um for me I, because i paint the sky a lot and i tend not to work from um observation so direct observation but i i will walk and look out my studio window and and just absorb all of this information that I can and then tend to paint from from memory in a shorthand type of way mm -hmm. but the things I've learned along the way of looking like like Simon was saying that you know how the light is in the sky so if a, and it seems obvious in a way if the sun is higher the light is coming down so the top of your clouds if the sun is high are going to be light and that's why the belly of the clouds is darker because there's no light getting to it um, that's right yeah but if the sun is going down the light is projecting upwards so you're going to start to get those kind of pinky or lighter colors on the bottom of the clouds um it seems obvious, but it took me like years of just looking at the sky to for that really, really to click. And yeah. then it's about how you 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 sort of translate that into a visual language, um, and especially um, if you're working plein air, how you're able to do that quickly and in a way that captures that that energy, um, because before you know it it's going to change um, do, um do you find with with plein air painting and with landscape painting so we sort of shift into that now that you sort of develop a bit of a shorthand with it so like i was saying that you know for me i, I work very impressionistically but from my memories image and not so much the the actual um the scene as you've developed over time with your plein air painting, do you find that some of the techniques that you are using, say, to put in your clouds or to put, are coming a little bit from memory as well as observation? I, 
I, I actually have a really bad memory. Um, so I, I kind of just really paint what's in front of me right now. Yeah. And um, the knowledge of um, how it should and shouldn't be, because obviously, you know, with the light where the shadows are falling and it, it's those kind of the rules are still applying and you just you just know them now and you know how things get smaller into the distance and all of those kind of um bits for for plein air work um yeah you you do you just you just know the rules yes as you do it the more you do the the easier it is and therefore you don't have to think that's the one thing that happens for me in painting is that I'm not thinking, I'm just doing, I'm just responding. I, I'm not even recording, I'm, which I've always thought was the difference between um, certain types of painter, whether you record what's in front of you, which means you're adding all of the details, or um, do you respond, Are you, I'm responding to the, what's happening in front of me. So, you know, if if the clouds suddenly drop the rain over the horizon of the sea, you know, and it just like just falls, it's like a cloud. So, you know, why why not just do that with your brushes? You just, you know, you've got your cloud that's there in front of you and it was fine, it wasn't raining and then suddenly the clouds dropped. So, you know, you just pull that color down to the sea and I've always sort of painted in a way with how it's happening at that time. So if, you know, if the, if the wind's blowing across, then my brush marks will be going in that direction. And, and that for me is how I paint the atmosphere and, and the weather and, you know, what's happening in front of me is to actually do what, what it is that's happening. You know, like painting the sea, you know, you push it forward and pulling it back and, and you know, you're crushing it over. And I think, I suppose it's quite a physical thing, isn't it? That, you know, when you're painting outside and the trees are moving, so, so why are you not moving as well? <laughs> you know, yeah. I've watched other people painting and I, I don't understand how they do it because it's not how I do it. And then you start questioning yourself whether, <laughs> but we all do it in our own way, don't we? So. Yeah. And that's an interesting point because, um, you know, when it comes to, I mean, you can watch loads of tutorial videos, can read books on, you know, this is how you paint a tree, but it's, it, you always, I think you always remain sort of restricted within it. The only way to do it is to, is, to find your, your own way and to, and to, and there's no right or wrong way of doing it. Yeah, that's um, right. And you can enter that, as you were saying earlier, you know, when you're in that zone, you sort of enter this flow state and there with your brush, you're, you know, you're sort of one with what you're creating and, and the environment as well. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It is, it is. And I feel sad for people who, who have never entered that flow state yeah. <laughs> because it's just, that's the magic because you're almost not in control of what you're doing. You're, no. you're just 
putting the paint down in in the way it needs to be put down. And I think that comes with experience, though. I think because obviously the people who are learning, they they don't know all the rules and they don't they're, they're thinking too hard about it. And it's almost like that they have to you have to go through that before you can sort of enjoy that that quiet painting time where three hours disappears like you know within moments and it's um it's a good place to be that's the best bit about painting I think well can I ask as well is there ever a time where you started a painting and it just doesn't work or you've just changed your mind and thought this I've considered this wrong from the first step is is that ever happened what what do you do to remedy that <laughs> scrape it off and start again um this painting behind me here this oh, big yeah. wave um yeah. has been painted uh four times <laughs> and it's been like about four years in the in progress yeah and for me that is the longest time i've ever painted because i've, I've done it and i've walked away from it and I come back and it's just not working. So I either let it dry or I scrape it off and start again. And I've, I've done that so much. And this last time, because I really wanted it to be part of this show, I almost thought, right, sod it, I'm just going to, I got really angry. I thought, this is ridiculous. How, you know, what the hell is going on here? Because I know what I'm doing. I know what I want why isn't it working just stop running around and just get on with it and I almost like force myself to stop thinking and just do it and just and then it just suddenly worked and I'm like oh thank goodness for that because it's taken long enough you know mm -hmm. but um I have a painting that I started in the week and it's just really rubbish so that'll just get scraped down um and sort of washed off with a bit of turps <laughs> and reused the board. Or they just ended up thrown in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> and do you find that it's experience and time, um, it teaches you to be less precious over things like that? Mm. So, oh, but, yeah. But you're, you're able to accept this isn't working scrape it off but then you have those ones like your wave there where it almost becomes an obsession and it, you know it it just takes so much time I find that some of the best paintings I've ever painted have literally taken me 15 minutes it's just happened. and then I've got ones that have like laboured over for a week sometimes sometimes they work out mostly they don't it's like ones that like that flow state and everything sort of seems to to align and it's done mm -hmm. quick captures that energy um so do you find that that sort of with experience and with time you're you're it's much easier to um accept failure basically yeah yeah absolutely um it's it's like any kind of job i think um you know you if I, if I find that things aren't working, I, I question myself more now. Why isn't it working? It's that self-critique thing. What is it that's gone wrong? So that you're learning from that piece. Mm. And then I just think to myself, it's just the board. 
gorgeous and it's just pain and it's usually time that makes me cross that I've lost um not so much a painting um because I, I've always told people you know whatever you do just just go and enjoy it and just enjoy the process and that's usually the thing that's missing for me that it doesn't work I'm not enjoying it um so either stop doing it or do something else or you know just kick back and just like that ah, it doesn't matter I did it the other day when I was on top of the Great Orm doing the sunset and I I did I did two and I thought okay yeah that's working the sun's going down you have to be so quick so I was just basically getting the colour notes down and then I was just so cold and I just really wanted to capture the last reds of the sun and I just like just stood back and I'm just like virtually scribbling on the board and my niece was like what are you doing (laughs) I says I'm just oh I says it's just not working now I'm just gonna scribble on that now and I'm just like da 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 and actually oh actually that was quite good (laughs) you have to enjoy it that's the thing you're freezing to death and there's flies stuck in your paint and everyone thinks oh what a lovely job it is and it's hard work (laughs) and you're just like oh just stop being silly and suddenly something happens and you think oh that works yeah (laughs) well with you I mean going back to your wave painting I was just curious as well is that because you don't use as much photo reference and you're out doing plan air how does that work with something which is so in motion constantly and so you know ever-changing to try to capture a you know a fragment of a second with this you know swell of a, of a wave how is um, that going to be like you know for years as well to try to I mean do you go back and try to see this ever-changing crashing wave and swelling waves I'm always at the beach um and you you learn how the waves come every seventh wave is a big one and um certain beaches produce certain waves depending on the depth of the floor of the sea um so and obviously weather state helps that as well and i am a big weather watcher and so sketchbooks i've always got my sketchbook with me and so um, you know i do a few quick color notes and i'm scribbling what's happening and i actually draw the shape of the waves and little arrows as to which way the water's flowing and my my sketchbooks are very not like some people's sketchbooks are so precise and pretty and and lovely mine i've got scribbles and words and 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 arrows and and you know just like a daub of color and it's 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 giving me I'm writing all the information and writing how I'm feeling and which way the wind's blowing and you know what I can smell even things like that what I'm hearing so that it's easy to stand in front of the canvas which in my studio which is a rare thing um to paint a big one because they tend to get blown around on on the beach um it's easy to to imagine that I'm in front of the wave because it's all there in my head and in the sketchbooks Mm. so and I think that's possibly why it wasn't happening as easily because I'm not stood in front of it I think if I I, I would probably it would probably be a lot easier if I could figure out a way of of painting big things down on the beach 
<laughs> Needed and I can't yes. drive. <laughs> so it makes it a bit harder that I've actually got to carry stuff and because I'm very lazy and I don't want to carry lots of stuff. Um, so I tend to work smaller or just with my sketchbooks. Mm. Have you seen um, Kurt, any of Kurt Jackson's videos where yeah. he's sort of painting down on the beach? He takes um, a massive like sheet of canvas and we'll just sort of work yeah yeah I have done that in the past um it's just really it's really tricky because he works uh, a lot in acrylics to begin with and they dry so quickly don't they uh and I work in oils so if I had to then roll it back up (laughs) yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to take it back home yeah. it is it's just um it's just a nightmare of, of, of trying yeah. to accomplish that so um I do take bigger canvases if I've got a big car to go in and um yeah I will I will do big pieces if but I can logistics, isn't it and I, I'm similar and this is I've, I've got plenty set up and I've got it all but you know, my default thing is to just walk and then just come in the studio into that mm. zone. I'm not great on um, on the logistical front of things. <laughs> yeah. and I so, imagine myself doing all of those things and being, yeah. you know, wistful and windblown. Um, yeah. But the reality is, the, you know, you stood in the middle of a field with a big canvas and yeah. cows and things like that. So... You know, it's not always as straightforward. No. And we've got to, um, like you were saying earlier about it, it's the time thing, which is the first, about, say, a failure in a painting. I I can understand that. I mean, I've had it before where I've sort of said, oh, I've got, you know, I don't have any teaching. I've got no responsibilities for two days. I can just be in the studio from you know, 6 a.m. to 10 at night. And like really looking forward to it, and then completely failing over a couple of paintings. And I'm not gutted about the paintings, but I'm, I'm gutted about the time, mm. all of that time I was looking forward to. And it seems like a waste of time, but it's not in the bigger no. picture. Um, and I think, like you were saying there, you, you kind of could be doing this, or you think sometimes you should be doing that, but. As an artist, it's about managing one's own time. There's only a certain amount of time and energy. How do you, um, say, a typical studio day, if you were didn't have any sort of plans, you were just going with the flow, what would you do? What would be your, your creative day? My creative day usually starts at about 7 o'clock in the morning. and um I've already chosen something to paint so I'll be doing a still life first thing I, I I'm a morning person and I if the sooner I can start painting the better so yeah. I'm just like you know a quick banana and a, a glass of juice and I'm sat in front of my easel and I start painting straight away um and then you know if I have to I will stop for lunch and then depending on what the weather's like and things like that. I'm very like two minutes from the beach, which is really useful. And so I just then like 
put my backpack on and go and stand on the beach for like the afternoon just just sort of feeling what's going on and everything depends on um what what time of year it is as well because every August I have my solo exhibition so currently I'm working on a lot of pieces for for that um whereas winter time it's kind of I've, I've done my exhibition, I can chill and sit back a little bit and get over that after exhibition slump that everybody gets, which I, I absolutely hate. And I can go and play and I tend to do more plein air in the winter because it's clearer as well. I don't like summer plein air work because it's just hazy the whole time. Um, so my day depends on time of year you know what's happening I could be in the in my studio all day making frames um do you enjoy doing that no no I hate making frames but I also hate paying somebody else to do it <laughs> how important is the color of a frame to a painting to you um marginally important it needs to work with the painting um but it also needs to work as a whole exhibition so mm. it needs to be cohesive and not have random odd colors of you know things and i kind of tend to use like a really off-white a black or two or three different grays mm. um because they just they go with everything and they're subtle and they don't take over the painting. They, they support the painting rather than being part of the painting. Mm. So, yeah. Because I've had found that the same picture in two different frames is massively different. Mm. It just shifts yeah. all the tonal values around depending yeah. on what the frame is, how it's reacting with the, the palette. So have you found that you will know that a certain you know palette that you've you've used for a for you know a series of paintings will then be complemented by white as opposed to black or by gray as opposed to anything like that yeah yeah it tends to be for me it tends to be decided on the sort of background of the painting like some uh last year's exhibition there was a lot of plants and I did them as studies, so I picked them and brought them into the studio and hung them on the wall so that the background was were very dark. So then putting a black frame with it just made it more, pop out more as a painting, whereas the soft uh, northern light paintings are very cool whites uh grays as a background so therefore it it kind of worked really well with some of the gray uh frames and then the big sunshiny pieces that i have done in the past they they work quite well with a with an off-white but you know it's kind of a fashion thing as well keeping an eye on what what's currently fashionable which i hate the idea of but People choose a paint a painting and they're actually looking at the frame to see if it goes with their sofa. And I, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. you have to bear that in mind, I think. Yeah. Well, how much does do trends influence your direction of subject as well? Is there anything where you think, you know, 
this is actually happening at the moment. There's a lot of this television series might influence people's focus. You know, there could be uh, Landscape Artist of the Year is now a new series, so people are looking for that. Or is there anything with the trend has influenced your your direction? Um, I don't have a telly. So. No, don't you? <laughs> me neither. <laughs> no, me neither. Oh, well, <laughs> three of us. <laughs> um, probably not at all. I'm not influenced by uh, other things because I work in series I work like I paint 40 or 50 paintings within a a project and if I was influenced by other people then my project would be a bit bitty and a bit messy and I kind of have like I write a little essay as to to what's inspired me and it'll be something that I've seen or is happening close by or whatever and and I almost have those words and the sentences like poetry or or whatever and it's like a washing line and then I think well how many paintings can I hang off that is it a 10 painting set or is it 40 can I keep going I hate to have to think that I'm gonna have to struggle to find the next painting so I just read my my essay or my poem or whatever it is I've written and it's very easy I just go back to the subject and I think okay so the next thing is this and it's easy to build up a set of pieces whereas if I looked outside of myself for a subject I I don't go out that often I would soon run out of ideas. I don't yeah. go outside and mix with the public. <laughs> I kind of are sort of involved in my own little world. And um, and I think it's important that because then Barely. your art is from you and not yeah. from somebody else. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what you said there is really, really important. Um, and I mean, it's nowadays with social media and stuff, it's... You know, it's quite difficult to for a lot of people to focus, and I, I can often see in in artists when they're clearly sort of got like a you know let's say like an artistic crush on another artist because you can see it going in, into the work, um, and I think you know being able to there's a, so many elements involved in being an artist and being successful is one being able to paint um two is being able to you know have that structure and that routine of doing it every day turning up every day come on mm-hmm. mate um but the other is is having like a, a subject matter which you can sort of call your, your own and that you can absorb into it may be influenced by you know, other periods of art history, impressionism, whatever. But but if you have, like with your essay there, this this sort of almost theoretical framework to it, then things are good. And the more one's head is turned this way and that, the more it takes you, you off your track. So mm. I think what what you've got there is such a good a good way of doing it. Um, and it's interesting you saying you, you don't have a TV and those kind of distractions because it means you're you're so sort of channeled and focused into into 
process in that project? Yeah, I think it's important. Uh, you know, this is my job, and and I treat it as such. And I'm so I'm so serious about it that um, people probably think that I just don't do anything else, uh, yeah. which might be true. I, I do other things around the art the thing, that is kind yeah. of probably creative and yeah. artistic. After <laughs> um, one track course, um, but but yeah, you know, you have to study. You have to put your time in. You have to do your purposeful practice. You you have to keep your visions true to you. You know, you have to be um, authentic. I couldn't say I'm I'm being me as an artist if my work looks like somebody else. Yeah. Then you know, and why would I want that? I wouldn't, you know, I want people to look at my work and think, oh, that's a that's a Jocelyn Roberts, and yeah. and not think, oh, is it such and such, you know? Um I, when I was first starting with oils, uh, I had a huge help from one of my friends and he, my work did, people could see that I had learned from him, which was fine because, you know, he gave me such a huge amount of help. But then your own natural um, studies then overtake that and influence you and that and his influence slowly disappears and you're just left having learned technique yeah, yeah. Uh, so then you know I've said people come to me and say you know how can I paint like you and I'll say well go and learn some techniques uh, and then do it for the next 20 years and then you know you'll get to this point <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah. it's not that overnight is, no, and it's it's an interesting thing with teaching, um, and I teach you know a couple of mornings a week and online, and um, I always want I don't want people to paint like me, you know, but it's it's those basics. So for me, it's about color mixing. So we start off with just three colors plus white. It's about following some of the techniques that I use. Um, but there's some stuff I can't teach because I don't know what I'm doing. It's just happening, you know, that painting. So yeah. it, I think going back, it's going back to those fundamentals and those basics. Um, and if someone asks you, Jocelyn, you know, how do I paint like you? You know, you, you give that answer. You learn those basics and then you spend, I mean, some people can, you know, become sort of fluent within five years, 10 years, 20 years. You know, it took me about 10 years to sort of start to get there. But there's only one way to get there, and that is to be, to get rid of your TV and literally work seven days a week on TV. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, I did a short course um, of urban sketching because... Um, around Carnarvon because I'm always there and I'm um, artist in residence at the gallery at the moment so I'm painting in the upstairs sort of gallery space so I get a lot of people coming and having a nosy round what I'm up to and which is great but uh, there was suddenly a demand for people like you know 
can you show us how to do urban sketching? And I'm like, I used to do teaching of watercolours in the past and it takes so much out of me that I stopped doing it. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do a six week course, two hours, you know, one day a week, that kind of very simple. And I thought, I don't want to show them how I do it. I want to teach them how to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So, and this is what I said, I got them to all sit down at the very beginning and I said, right, I want you to shut your eyes. And they were like, how is this going to work? And I was like, because I want you just to learn how to look and how to find what what you want to draw, not what I'm pointing at and telling you to draw. I want to find your own, you to, to walk around town with me and to to find out what it is that sparks your own imagination because I think that's one of the hardest things to learn um techniques are easy you know you can YouTube everything and just pick up techniques and it's it's what you want to paint I think is the thing that's the hardest to learn so I just got them to sit down and sort of take away one of their senses and I say right okay what can you smell what can you hear and sort of you know speak out tell me what it is that that you can hear so they were all doing this and giggling and thinking it was it was quite funny and I said right okay so after you've done that when you open your eyes now you're going to be looking for those things that you've noticed with your with your hearing just to so because you're that's how your brain works and so then we're going to start walking through town and I said, and we're going to have almost like a, a five second stop. And I want you to just zone into whatever's catching your eye. It could be a bollard, it could be a wall, it could be a seagull. You know, there's around town, there's, you know, the world's your oyster, really. And I just want you to just draw the outline, the shape with a pen. So I got them in a biro so they couldn't rub it out. And just like, just going with that and just talk, walking, listening, smelling, seeing, and, and just giving them moments to actually start sketching in their books. Um, and they were all drawing different things, which was instantly really gratifying for me because it was actually, that was the thing I wanted them to start start off with. Uh, I can show them techniques till the cows come home. Yeah. So... Right. Everybody's got their own, um, it's like handwriting. Um, yeah. You know, there's, if you say, oh, well, you, you know, you draw it like this, there's, there's no point in doing that in a way. Um, I'll often do a demonstration, well, I always do a demonstration at the beginning of a class. And I tend not to say, well, now I'm using the palette knife like this and like this. I'll just do it. So people can see it in action and then get them to do their own thing. But everybody, you know, we could be working from the, the same scene. Everybody's is completely different. There's none exactly the same. And it's that, it's that encouragement of individual handwriting style. Um, yeah. Should we talk about um, colour palettes? Okay, that's yeah. fine. So, uh- Mine's really yeah. basic. Okay. <laughs> I um I use 
two yellows, two reds, two blues, um, and white, and yeah, yeah, and that's about it. So, so, so it's a warm and a cool of yeah. Of and and so, what are your two blues? Um, cobalt blue and ultramarine blue. Oh, right, okay, interesting. It used to be cerulean instead yeah. of cobalt, but it was suddenly very hard to get hold of, and yeah. I swapped it out for um, cobalt and found I actually uh, love the colour more yes. than cerulean. And with cerulean, it's, it depends, because there's two different types, isn't there? There's the Winsor & Newton cerulean blue, which is... a um, it's slightly warmer and then you've got the the other cerulean blue which is tending to lean much more and michael harding and uh, those use it um it's leaning much more towards a greenier type type blue yeah yeah whereas yeah. cobalt is kind of just in in the middle yeah it's it's a nice it's a nice mix it makes a makes lovely grays yes yeah how about your yellows Yellow is uh, cadmium yellow light. Yeah. And uh, lemon yellow. Okay, so they're they're still both they're both kind of on that cooler end in a way. Yeah, I suppose it it depends what what you're painting, doesn't it? But yeah, those are the colours that I started out with and haven't really right. moved on from. I do try mm. to add other colours, but they end up just staying in the in the because I can make so many colours with with that colour palette, then there's yeah. no need for me to find another one. Yes. So how about your reds? Cadmium red and uh, alizarin crimson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So is it like cadmium red, normal or light? Just, just normal. Yeah. Just normal. Yeah. Yeah. And do you and find? Then, yeah. Sorry. And, so and a burnt sienna. Ah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask as well because. I, I will always do that. So I often work from a, a split primary. Um, so I will use cerulean blue, uh, ultramarine blue. Um, then I'll use cadmium red light and um, basic rose madder, so quinacridone rose. Mm -hmm. And then for yellows, um, uh, Indian yellow, transparent Indian yellow, very beautiful, very strong colour. And then either just a straight cadmium or a cadmium yellow light. And then also have um, burnt sienna and either raw sienna or yellow ochre. But sometimes I'll just use ultramarine blue, cadmium yellow and um, the quinacridone and burnt sienna. So it depends. Yeah, um, my watercolour uh, palette has Indian yellow because mm, it's just... It's it's an incredible colour. Yeah. But, um, I use uh, Windsor and Newton artisan oils. Oh, okay. I don't, yeah. I don't want the the too much chemicals going yeah. on, um, and they don't do Indian yellow in it, so no. I'm kind of restricted. Yes, I think um, I, I think Daniel Smith would do a water based one, but it's so expensive; it's it's crazy. Um, mm. The, the Indian yellow I use is by, I'm just seeing if I've got any close by. I don't, 
um, it's Jackson's um, professional oils and it's PY83 um, and it's just it's such an in incredible color because it's transparent when it comes out and really good for glazing but as soon as you add a little bit of white to it it becomes as strong and opaque as some of the cadmiums it's absolutely beautiful how long did it take look, you to, I should look that up. <laughs> how long did it take you to get your palette to where it is now were you using like a, you know a broader range or a more restricted range before and you then broadened to different colors that's how i started and really um i think I think it's important to stay with with what you begin with um, for me personally, because it, it that's the confidence in your color mixing. You know exactly the colors you can make with with yeah. your with your colors that you've chosen. And if you start adding things, it's, it's just it will be chaos. Mm. <laughs> and it's easy. You know, you have you know, seven or eight tubes of paint and and that you know you can you can do most things with it so it hasn't you ever, really changed do you ever get the like allure of a new color and sort of see it and and just just want yeah. to buy I, I quite fancy the um i think it's is it cobalt teal yeah but artisan oils don't do it so no. that kind of puts me off i, I might find like a thallow a thallow blue mm, so that you can mix it with the lemon yellow and you get with a bit of white then you then you can get an almost mm. teal color yeah. yeah so uh but there's not many things that i paint in that color so <laughs> no but it's just those kind of um I, I mean i've got so many tubes of paint here that i've kind of just you know something seduced me and i, I bought them um and with the, the cobalt teal, there's a bit of a geek with pigment. So and there's a cobalt teal. So, this one by Gambling, um, artist yeah. colour. This is like P PB28. So it's it's the same pigment as, um, was it PB29? I can't remember, the same pigment as cobalt blue. Whereas the Windsor and Newton cobalt turquoise or teal is, is a completely different pigment. But this is just, it's absolutely beautiful. And, every now, and every now and then I'll do a, a sky with it. Mm. Just because it's, you know, it's something completely different. But it, if you mix this also with, um, say, alizarin crimson or quinacridone magenta, the, the, the violet greys you get from it are, are incredible. Yeah. To recommend it, even if it's just like a, you know, a treat that you, you <laughs> get out every now and then. A treat that every now and then. It's yeah. usually for things like water. Um, yeah. There, there are certain elements of water because water, when you're painting water, you're painting so many things. Yeah. You know, reflection and refraction, and what's underneath, and what 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 you can, what it's, you know, what the sky is doing. That's that. That sometimes you need something more mm -hmm. than than what I've currently got. So I am tempted, but I know what'll happen. I'll buy it, I'll play with it for a bit, and then it'll just go in the drawer. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, your paintings have um 
have a palette and and that's recognizable and you know you can nothing big or dramatic changes and yes. you know what it is you're currently painting have you tried um so do you thin your paints with water if you paint it with the oil with the artisan no 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 i just paint straight out the tube <laughs> okay yeah because i mean there are are ways of um sort of painting solvent free with yeah. with um actual oil paints i i'd done it for a while where i'd have a um of all things a pot of cooking oil mm -hmm. and if i painted with the oil and then put the the brushes in in the cooking oil and just sort of, and then sort of clean them out like that and then just use some fairy liquids and yeah. so there were no I've relapsed into solvents. Yeah, I mean, I do. Um, depending on where I am, I think I d I I started have it using them because of ease of plein air. I didn't want to be bothering taking turps out and about, and yeah. it's just having a bottle of water is really easy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, but then I clean. I do clean my brushes with turps at the end of the day. You I know, yeah. it, it's not that I don't want to do it is that I'm just lazy. <laughs> yeah, and you've got your method and you've got... You've yeah, got your... yeah, it works. And I did buy some proper real turps the other day and the smell of it really knocked me out. I've been using cheap stuff, clearly. It's a beautiful yeah. smell, though, isn't it? The turp. It's uh, <laughs> not good for you, but... I was, uh, I was watching a video on Richard's Instagram recently where you were showing a demonstration of doing a sky and someone in the comments asked, how do you mix blue and yellow and not get green? And you yeah. said in his response that you use a pink in between at, at a certain point, which was an amazing kind yeah. of tip in something which is almost invisible. Is there anything like that which, which you've ever come across, Jocelyn, that you remember as a kind of thing where you think this is almost an invisible colour that people can't see because of how it's combined with other colours? Where it just sits in a place where people don't even see it. I have no idea. You're not sure? Is it all <laughs> swept sure. up in the moment? <laughs> yeah, I just paint. I I, I see the colour and I, I mix it and I put it down. I am quite instant painting, like that direct painting. Um, I I don't do any special tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How for say if you want a real dark color um this is something as well that people ask, ask me a lot they say well i'm only using you know three colors plus burnt sienna so how would burnt, you mix a black burnt sienna and um ultramarine blue make the perfect yeah. black yeah. Absolutely. um uh, sometimes if i want to warm it up <laughs> i will add um a bit of uh alizarin crimson just to sort of yeah sort of take it you know over to you know a redder side um but yeah it, it, it's perfectly black you know yes and you can, you can with it as well but and it's not a 50 50 mix it's sort of more ultramarine blue same mm -hmm probably 60, 70% ultramarine blue, 40, 30%. And you get that like pitch black right in the middle. But if you add more burnt sienna, you start to get into these warm, like 
mahogany yeah. light browns or if you add more ultramarine blue you're starting to get into these sort of Payne's grey type territory so yeah. just and you can literally do a whole painting just with those two colours plus one. Oh, absolutely. And it's my favourite grey. Yeah. Ultramarine, blue and um, burnt sienna with white. But now I actually quite like uh, my cobalt blue and cadmium red mm. with white. And that makes a really lovely grey. And then a touch yeah. of, touch of um, cadmium yellow. Mm. And it's the perfect shell colour. It's like... It's just the, the most delicious grey mm. ever. Because <laughs> you, you would be getting getting like a, because it's in the violet scale, isn't it? So yeah. your cobalt blue and, and your alizarin crimson. And because the cobalt blue has got that slight kind of greenish tinge to it, it's yeah. never going to mix a, a, a pure violet. So it's within that range. And then, of course, the complementary to violet is yellow so when you add that yellow into it as well you can get even more greys yeah I just I think grey is probably my favourite colour because after painting so many skies um, and I had a whole week of pure mist where you couldn't actually see the horizon you realise how many different greys you yes. can create it like Today's mist is mostly cool. <laughs> Today's yeah. mist is, has a warm tinge to it. And um, yeah, I just, I do a lot of white painting and none of it is white. It's all shades of greys and, and soft muted blues and violets and all of those, those things. It's, it's exciting. Colour is, is, is a real passion. Excellent. Is there any exhibitions you have coming up where you'd like to announce to kind of... I have my next exhibition in Life Full Colour Gallery in Carnarvon and it starts on I think the 15th of August. It's called Found um, and it is things that you find on the beach. So every day I'm down there walking and you know, it can be something like a pebble or a shell, but it's also what people have left behind, um, the weird and the unusual, so mm. still life. But it's also going to be a few, like, you know, big waves. You find you find waves on the beach um, and the odd sort of seascape, but it's mostly um, interesting still life exhibition. Oh, fantastic. So that's mm. on for six weeks. Okay, um, brilliant. So, and when, when is it again? A fifteenth of August. I'll put it up on my uh, Instagram, and it'll be constant. I'll be, I'll be annoying with the advertising of it. <laughs> I'd love you all to, I'd love you both to come over uh, and have some, you know, something nice to drink with me on the opening um, night. Come and say hi. Yeah, well, I'm quite local, so you can expect me there. Absolutely. I'm quite a long way away. But, yeah. so. <laughs> Five hours drive away, so it's less yeah. easy access. My yeah, mother's Welsh. Weekend. I've got a connection to Wales and I do I do go, but mainly South Wales. <laughs> so what's what's social media should people go to to check out your work as well? Uh Facebook, uh just Jocelyn Roberts. Um Instagram is Jocelyn Blossom Roberts. 
Um, I'm on Twitter at Jocelyn Blossom. Not often, but you know, occasionally, and that's it really. Excellent. Well, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for Thanks. asking me. <laughs> it's been great. Thanks.